Welcome to episode 10 with Melissa Allen, registered dietitian. Melissa works with elite athletes as well as the general population. We discuss what a dietitian is, differences between dietitian and nutritionalist, how she uses a human-first nutrition approach when reaching her clients' goals, and some of the confusion in social media when it comes to extremes in dieting. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm Melissa Allen. I am a dietitian. I've been practicing for probably five years now, um, but my main focus, honestly, is with performance athletes, so high performance, but I also dabble in regular people like myself. Um, athletes are very unique. They push me a lot to like think differently, but it also is beneficial for working with other people because athletes are so specific and so tailored, but they're all super individual, so it helps me that skill set to work with people who are also super individual it's lovely i like that you get a kind of a little bit of both and you can kind of dial in your athletes but then have an approach to general population because there is crossover there is yeah. yeah nothing that i talk about with athletes is drastically different than humans like right other humans yeah the needs are that's the same just generalized needs exactly yeah. yeah sometimes the goal setting might be a little bit different exactly most of us are not striving for olympic medals yes most of us aren't <laughs> even thinking about that no, not in no. My, no definitely not not in my world either <laughs> so as a dietitian i want to clear up just a little bit of of a misconception that can kind of come up or not even a misconception but people don't really understand what a dietitian is mm -hmm. can you give us a little bit more information on what a dietitian is your credentials as a dietitian to kind of tell the difference between when people are calling themselves dietitians or nutritionalists oh yeah good question yeah yeah definitely so some of the hang-up comes with the fact that every province is governed in a different way that's how we like to do it in Canada. Yes. Confuse you. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere but Quebec. Exactly. Yeah. So some provinces, dietitian and nutritionist can mean the same thing. Or or you don't, like you can call yourself a nutritionist and have a very small amount of education. Where here in Nova Scotia, it's specified that you have to have a certain amount of education, like a four-year program to be a nutritionist. To, but to be a dietitian, you have to take a clinical side as well. So it's extra education on top. Okay. So if you don't have that level of education here in Halifax or Nova Scotia, you can get fined. Whereas other provinces, you can call yourself a nutritionist and just have taken a weekend course. or a small course. Yeah. Yeah. So what dietitians do, our main thing is to like be current with where we're at science-wise in terms of food and how to fuel, you know, how to be productive or preventative in terms of what using food and also reactive in terms of how to use food to support whatever you happen to be living through, whatever your, whether it's disease or illness in any way. Um, but we're supposed to take the most current education, the most current knowledge and nutrition and be able to turn around and speak up to it in terms that people can understand. We're not supposed to know everything. We're supposed to also be able, more importantly, know where to look to find information that is appropriate and correct. And then take that information that's very scientific and being able to flip it around so that like the regular person can understand what you're saying. Exactly. Right? Because if a lot of the jargon is quite scientific when it comes to nutrition, but it needs to be applied. 
Exactly. So you kind of want to apply the science behind nutrition. Not everybody wants to look at journals. No, and, or read <laughs> research papers yeah. all the time. And, you know, it. I often get caught off guard because you live in your world of what you do. And there's jargon and there's terms and things that you just understand. And you forget that, you know, that's not everybody's supposed to know all that jargon and have all that that understanding, you know, that special way that every profession talks. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to turn, take out all of that and just disseminate and break it down into something that everybody can understand. And digestible. Yeah. Right? Totally. Um, so your approach to nutrition, how would you, how would you describe it? Like, I know you work with so many different people and it might not be easy to narrow it down, but where do you kind of see nutrition fitting into somebody's regular healthcare plan? Mm. So one of my, my big philosophies and the core of how I practice is that it's the human first and you have to work with them exactly where they are. There is no stamp, like no black and white for every human. And I'm not going to walk in. My job is not to walk in and start telling people what to do. It's to help them start to figure out where they're at and how they can best set themselves up. Not me, just, I've never told a human ever that veggies are good for them and they didn't already know that. <laughs> right, that's pretty but, standard information. Like every, like I, my seven-year-old yeah. knows that if it's between the apple and the cookie, mm-hmm. like the apple has more nutrition in it exactly. and they both can be delicious. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new. No, nothing no. new. But we have to, how do you meet the person where they're at so we can tweak and or like create habits that are more supportive for them. There is no one diet that works for everyone. We're, we don't like the same things. We have different allergies. We have different socioeconomic standing. Like there are so many different reasons why there is no one diet that works for everyone. We're all different. Yeah. Incredibly different. So different. So we have to find out what makes these everybody different and work with them to best use food to support them in their life. And what their goals are. Yeah. Do you find that's a that's a pretty big misconception that you often hear people, for instance, like carnivore. Carnivore is the only way to go. You should only eat meat. Vegetables are evil. They're going to cause inflammation. And then you have the flip side of it where it's like, oh, my God, red meat's going to kill you. You should only have vegetables and they can only be raw because that's how your body can take it in. That's a big misconception. Yeah. No wonder people are so confused. Every time you look on any platform... There's one person telling you one side and the other person telling the other side. And if you go to one side, the other side's evil. Like, they're fighting against each other 24-7. All the time. It's just this big, like, brawl. And diet takes on a totally different definition, it seems. Because diet is just there. Like, the definition of it is just, it's what you eat. Exactly. Right? It's not a way of eating. Mm -hmm. It's just eating. Eating. That's your diet. Consume food. Yeah. Yeah. What do you find are some other big misconceptions when it comes to nutrition that you generally have people, clients coming in with that you have to kind of talk them through? Mm. What are some big ones that you've noticed? Big ones that I've noticed. uh, Often I spend, where this shocks people a lot, is I often spend a lot of time telling people that they should probably eat more than what they are. So... As a majority in society, a lot of us are looking to make body shape changes. And so often there's a tendency to like really, really, really cut back, 
not eat very often, you know, leave big breaks when they're not eating, like really, really reduce. And so a lot of the time, because that's how, that is a big step to like making body shape changes, but we do it in different ways that like set ourselves up for, for struggling. So people starve themselves and then are really hungry and angry and then they eat whatever they can find because they're hungry and angry and then and then they like don't eat again because they're upset about the fact that they were hungry and angry and they ate everything and and instead of like finding ways to maybe reduce what you're eating but still not starve yourself right yeah right like the, the, the there's an idea and the hangry is truly a real thing because <laughs> <Such a real thing. laughs> <laughs> i've experienced it myself um but there is this idea of, of an all or none mm-hmm. right you you completely need to cut yourself off the goals are very strict like i need to lose that weight yesterday and so i need to eat barely anything and then you are starving hungry and you do grab the first thing that you can reach for and then you go well that wasn't the best choice and you know it wasn't the best choice mm-hmm. And then you fall into that, well, okay, I'm now I'm not going to eat mm-hmm. or I'm going to like over-exercise to make mm-hmm. up for that, mm-hmm. throw myself back into being starving again, and then just, again, grab the nearest thing that probably isn't the best choice. Exactly. And how do you feel about yourself through that whole process? Are you loving yourself? Very frustrated. Definitely not loving yeah. yourself. And you don't feel like you're succeeding at anything. Mm-hmm. So how would you approach that? If somebody's coming in to talk to you about making changes to their diet because they know that that's the type of person they are, they're the, the, the quick fix person who really struggles with losing weight because they do the starve and, and binge and starve and binge. What would be your very first thing that you would try to accomplish with that person? Mm. It is find a consistency for eating where they don't, I like calling it be kind to yourself where you're not putting yourself into that position where you're so hungry you can't think straight. So that can be different for everyone. Some people don't need to eat very often and they're totally happy. Mm-hmm. Like some people can do three meals a day. Other people need to do like five or six, otherwise they're angry beasts. Yes. I'm definitely one of those. So you have to start to figure out how do we set you up so that you're not getting to that point where you're hangry. So you're not feeding into that cycle that you've been stuck in that so many of us get stuck in for so long and that will be different and some of that will will, i'll include as well you know bringing in the protein to help you stay satisfied more fiber which most of us suck at getting Mm -hmm. enough of but it's so important in so many ways from keeping you full to like keeping your digestive system happy because what this is just a a wild statistic or a percentage from my own head, but I swear 90% of the people I work with have digestive stuff going on. And so like feeding that good digestive health with having fiber, there's so much, I don't know. It, and then just really, I'd start with like, just talking to them and where do they want to start is the biggest thing. I can tell them where I think they should start, but that's not where they want to start. That's useless. Yeah, and you, and you can uh, meet them where they're at, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so many clients that I've talked to, it seems when we start talking about food, mm-hmm. it becomes so much more than about food, mm-hmm. right? Um, do, you, do you find that as well? Like it stops being like, mm-hmm. because the, the weight loss is coming from somewhere and the why you want to lose weight is coming from somewhere. 
but they always do a hyper focus on the food aspect of it. Definitely. And that's something you want to discuss with whoever you're spending time with is a why, because food is emotional. There are there's so many components to food and, and if you don't go back to the, the stem or the core of the reason why, even if they do see body shape changes, it's still not gonna, I like, I like to say for so many of us want to like change our body shapes and make them smaller, but most small people in the world are not, it doesn't make you instantaneously happy with who you are as a, which is often what we're striving to do is be happier, be happier or yeah, there's, we just place so much value on like our body shape and, and yeah, body shape in general and well, it, we figure that out. It, we, it, we almost put the value of ourselves into what we look like mm-hmm. when it comes to that. And we can be a little bit hard on ourselves as far as like, if I don't look a certain way, then what does that say to, about me as a person? Like if I'm trying to lose weight and I'm struggling and I'm not succeeding, does that mean that I'm lazy yeah. or am I just failing? Mm-hmm. So too many people are putting feelings into it. So many feelings into food. It's, there's such a, like there's so many bias around like what we feel like we should look like. There's some, I, this is like, I don't know if you've ever checked out, Harvard has implicit tests where they like you can do a fat skinny that sounds like horrible words fat skinny like bias where mm-hmm. you can check your own bias and there's so much that we like so much value that we associate with specific body types which is and we don't even know that that's instilled in so many of us and so and we see food as a way to like get to that valuable human shape that we all view and until we can start to work on some of that and realize that like different body shapes are beautiful and important and essential and we'll, we should never be the same body shape. How boring is that? That's well, We're not all the same people. No. So how is that even possible? Yeah. Why? Humans are beautiful. We just need to learn how to accept the beauty of all the differences that we have. So we touched on briefly before we start chatting on here about nutrition as a way to prevent illness. Mm-hmm. Where do you think, like, I know our healthcare system isn't much about prevention. Mm-hmm. It's usually a reaction to. Where do you think nutrition stands in that value system of, of preventative care for disease? I'm super biased. maybe a little but in all honesty you do you're a researcher at this point we're talking to you as a researcher i don't like it is one of the key pieces to helping prevent disease it's not going to stop all disease that's just part of genetics and human bodies but like the food that we the sleep that we get like there's there there is no one singular piece but it is like one of the foundational pieces of setting ourselves up the best to prevent as much disease as, as possible or illness. Now, I know you said not one size fit all nutrition, mm-hmm. but you did did mention that you have an emphasis in the beginning on, on making sure people are getting adequate protein. Mm-hmm. What do you consider is adequate pro- protein in general? Like if you can give kind of a, a an area or 
under the curve? Like, what do you think is a good amount of protein for an average individual to be consuming? Well, one of the, I'll kind of answer it bigger and then bring in a bit smaller. But one of the big parts of the protein for it to be as effective as possible is if we're to be spread all the way throughout your day. So really focusing on like whenever you're putting food in your mouth to have protein included in it. So, you know, your first meal of the day, whenever that is, like and every other meal after that. There's there's only so much protein that our body is able to digest in one sitting. Most of us do a really good job at dinner. That's when a lot of us get our big end yep. of of protein, but a lot of us really have a hard time with like our first meal of the day. But we really want to interject that protein consistently. Um, so we can get those amino acids throughout our whole day, whether it's like animal based or plant based, whatever. They're both awesome choices. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think all people need to eat meat and I don't think all people need to be vegan. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes back to the individual, that individual piece. You can do all those things well. Um, but protein spread all the way throughout the day. When we're thinking about numbers, it does change a little bit depending on, like, if you're under 18, your protein needs are a bit higher. If you're a female, as we get a little more well-seasoned as females, we need a little bit more protein as well. But generally speaking, like the current recommendations, if you look in a book, is like 0.8. More research now is swinging up to like 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilogram. Yeah. Yeah. But again, there's also a huge push right now on protein. It's like the sexiest thing in the world at the moment. It's yes. protein. It's the go-to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes down to like, oh, I don't like even saying this word, but balance. Yes. Because it's so cliche. But it is. Like, you have to have all those other things. Protein does a lot, but there is only so much that your body really does need. If you're trying to put on muscle mass, then those needs do go up a little bit more. Again. But that doesn't mean you just need to like have more protein in yeah, all day, every day. Well, and you do, again, even though it's cliche, balance. Because for a while, because I'm kind of in the a little bit more of the fitness area, and I've seen a few things where it gets really popular to go keto, mm-hmm. right? Oh, keto, keto, keto. And especially in the CrossFit space, it was paleo. Yes. Um, and people, if you talk to them about carbs, were almost scared to eat carbs and if you said fruit it was almost like right heart stopping you can't have an apple like I that to me just seems so ridiculous to put fruit on the at any kind of same level as as like sugar yeah like a sugar sugar yeah it is we have been very afraid of carbohydrates for a lot of people but we always have to remember it is like our body's favorite place to get energy. It's just a, carbs are so many different things. So it's like, where are you getting that energy from? Should we all eat endless amounts of white bread sandwiches? Probably not. But does that mean we should never have bread ever again in our life? Definitely. That doesn't mean that either. Yeah. And I know there is more research all the time showing that it's, about you know like choosing more like whole foods less processed more often not saying you can't have processed foods because most of the food we eat is processed processing can be really great too yeah you know it makes food convenient it's just if you're always eating from 
box everything, then we have to wonder how much nutrition is left in food theory. Right. And I, for a lot of people, when I'm, when they ask me, and cause I don't, I just give very general nutrition advice when it comes to like, if somebody is really at the state of where I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. I go, well, can you pronounce what you're eating? Cause that's always a good way to start. Like keep it simple. Yeah. If you can pronounce everything on the box, then you're probably doing better than what you think. That definitely helps. Right. But it doesn't mean you can never have anything that is processed yeah processed is a dirty dirty word for it some is. people it is a dirty word for some people but i also want to check my privilege because it's also often the affordable piece so yep. you know if you can choose to feed your family a couple bags of spinach or you can buy craft dinner i'm gonna recommend that you buy craft dinner even though it's more processed in quotation marks but it's 10 cents. Yeah, it's 10 cents. <laughs> like relative, like, yeah, if you're looking at, you know, instant noodles over a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, again, so we always have to remember, like, where are people coming from? Yes. You know, what is an option, what's available to them, and working. One of my favorite things that I like to do with some clients that I work with, especially, like, younger, younger individuals, is, like, ask them, do you have craft dinner in your house? And most people do. That's just part of it. I'm like... Okay, great. What can we add to that to make it more of a nutritious meal? Not saying like, we have to work with what we have. If your parents or if your family has craft dinner, you can add things to it and make it awesome, this awesome, complete meal, which has you know protein in it, throw some veg in it. Like, what's wrong with that? That's awesome. I used to do that. You sound like me cooking when I was a university <laughs> student, super poor. And yeah. I would take, like, I would take the, the soups that were like noodles or or any of those really easy things and I would I would like add some kind of meat to it and then a veggie and like that would be that was like the base and that was my meal because it was easy it's easy and it's inexpensive versus the pressure that we feel to like you have to have these like Pinterest beautiful like meals all the time nobody has time for that yeah or the money for that most of the time so like again working with people where they're at if you do that's awesome if you have the time and the financial ability to do it that's beautiful do it do it but don't be so hard on yourself if you can't yeah exactly. and don't be so hard on yourself when you can't every day yeah because we also have to wonder that pressure and that that guilt that we place on ourselves and that stress based on like the food that we eat you know what does that what does that do to how our body digests the food that we're eating you know, we can't separate emotions from our digestive system. There's so much that happens in our digestive system. So many of the hormones, our happy hormones, are created in our stomach. So, when, and when we're anxious and stressed, so it can shut down our whole system. Not everyone, but it, ha it can have a massive impact on, on you. So if you're always stressed and angry and anxious about what you're putting in your body, no matter what you're putting in, what is that doing? How is that digesting? What's happening? How's your body responding to it? Yeah. That's interesting. It's also interesting how you brought up like dinner is a very easy time for people to have their protein. Mm -hmm. It's very structured for a lot of people. Yeah, for a lot of people. Um, but breakfast, that can be a different story. And I know like I've had ongoing conversations with um, my mother because I will eat 
almost anything for breakfast. <laughs> like I will, I will create meals that sometimes you'd think were for supper for my breakfast because I just, I like eating food. So I'll have like something that looks very dinner-like for my breakfast. And she thinks I'm crazy because she's of the old adage of like cereal or toast. <laughs> right? Yes. And there's a lot of that. Like you can have whatever you, whatever want. you want for breakfast. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be eggs. No. It doesn't have to be cereal. Mm -mm. You can also have breakfast for dinner. Like yeah. that's one of my favorite like meals. I think that's our kids' favorite meal, <laughs> actually. Breakfast it's like for dinner is the best. Yeah, it's like a party when we have breakfast for dinner and I have no idea why. Like it's like feel special. So why can't you have dinner for breakfast? Yeah, the, the protein for breakfast is a tough one for people to get it. Yeah, what are some, super tough. What are some suggestions that you make for people to be able to add that protein mm -hmm. into their first meal of the day? Well, of course, eggs comes yes. up a lot. Eggs or, like, there's a lot of grain products have more protein than what we realize, too. So eggs, grain products, if you do dairy, yogurt, milk, they're, they're awesome, or soy that way, too. Other things that I often, another easy trick is, you can use egg whites and add those to almost anything in your breakfast. And that's just like flavorless protein that's added to whatever you happen to be eating. Even if it's oatmeal, it's really easy to add in. Um, other things that I recommend for breakfast is like if you're feeling fancy, you know, a little salmon is always a delicious breakfast protein too. But it's often the grains, the, the dairy if you do it, or the eggs. Those are the big ones for sure. Because they're quick and easy. Quick. Or a tofu scramble. Delicious as well. Yeah, I got onto the egg whites quite a bit more in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. And you can actually make a pretty decent French toast with like egg whites. Oh, yum. Of course. Oh, it's so good. And the more whole grain your bread is, the more protein you're going to have in there as well. So it's just mostly like your more your white based that's gonna have less protein, but if you have a good whole grain piece of bread, that's gonna have some good protein in. And create again the balance yeah. that everybody's kind of looking for. Exactly. That that fiber, that balance, all that good stuff. Yeah, fiber's another one that if you want to talk about something that people don't find sexy, you just have to bring up the word fiber. And people don't really jump on that bandwagon quite as much as they do um, some of the other ones. Like the, the protein, you know, gets very popular when talking about building muscle and, and you know, you need your protein, your protein, your protein. Carbs, people are terrified of it, but they don't recognize the importance of fiber. How would you help somebody add more fiber into their diet? Well, a lot of that does come down from like eating foods that are a bit more whole. Mm -hmm. Because often in the processing, a lot of the fiber is removed. Or just like getting more fruits and veggies. They're a beautiful way to get more fiber. Or even just like look at the nutrition facts of the <laughs> food that you're choosing. And if it's like, let's say you're looking at two cereals, just like even comparing those two. Like which one has more fiber? And then choosing the one that happens to have more fiber. But if we're just looking for like straight up things you can add, of course there's things like your classic like flaxseed you can sprinkle on everything. Mm -hmm. Throw more like nuts and seeds on everything that you eat. Another big one, especially for people that I work with who already have some digestive 
issues happening is uh, psyllium husk. It tends to be a bit more digestible for people who are already having issues with their digestive system. Because if you hammer in a bunch of flaxseed, that's most people that are already suffering, that's just going to set their system sideways. Yeah, they'll suffer more. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, for me, I'm a happier person when I can get my fruit. Mm -hmm. Like, I know when I haven't had fruit for the day because yeah. it's actually, like, mood elevating for me. I don't know why, but, like, having berries and fruit just makes me happier. Well, it's got so much good stuff in there. And, like, some of your fruit will have things like melatonin and, like, tryptophan, like some of those things that are mood-enhancing kind of beautiful you have nothing no reason to be scared of fruit the sugar that you get from fruits it's still a sugar but it, you're also getting vitamins and minerals and all that good stuff that fiber at the same time it's not the same as sitting down and eating a gummy bear which is also delicious but like it's just sugar know that there is a difference between the two yeah. and both have their time and place now, when I talked to Natalie, we discussed a little bit when, um, cause you worked with her mm -hmm. through her transition and everything that she went through yes. and she brought up a term called intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Now, is that kind of the way you work is within that intuitive eating when you're working with clients? As much as I can, intuitive eating or like the mindful eating, like kind of the, the combination of those two is, again, it depends on a bit on their journey. If it's someone that I am working with that has had a bit of history with um, more of a disorder eating relationship or eating disorder, then we won't start at that point. But for a lot of us, if we can just start to be more aware of, like, how do you know how much protein you've ate in a day if you don't even know what you put in your mouth? Yeah. Like most of us are not aware of what we're eating because we're working while we eat we're sitting at the tv while we eat. like so if we want to make changes or like you know ensure that we're trying to get a balance of all that good nutrition but we just don't even know what we're putting in our mouth it's that's a very hard place to start from whereas if we can start to be aware of when we're eating and why we're eating not in a judgmental way but just super curious we can start to see how not only what makes us feel satisfied and full what maybe makes us feel a bit junky, yeah. you know, or we can start to listen to like figure out when you're not starving, but you're starting to get hungry. You know, all those like different cues that our bodies are, can be telling or will be telling us if we start to pay attention and become aware to it. If you look at like a small child when they eat, do they eat at set times? No. Do they eat everything? that's put in front of them, no, they just kind of, they're very intuitive, they eat as much as they want to, when they want to, we just often train ourselves out of that, where we learn that we must eat at, either at certain times, or we get busy and we stop listening to those things that our bodies are trying to tell us, there's a lot of freedom, and just like a beautiful appreciation of who you are as a human, when you start to pay attention, and like start to be like, hmm, why am I hungry right now? Is it because I had a good day or I had a bad day because there's all that emotional stuff? Or, you know, is it just because I, like, saw that beautiful, delicious thing 
And I'm like, that makes me hungry. Like just getting curious about like why you do what you do, why you get hungry when you do, to just give you a lot of insight into, you know, how you react, what your body needs. And then from there, then you can start to build on that and figure out how to best fuel yourself. Because I can't just tell you, everybody always asks for meal plans. That's just what humans want from a dietitian. I think that's what most people think we do is we create meal plans. But as much as we try in science, humans are individuals. So I can create a meal plan for you, but it, is it actually probably going to work for you? Probably not. Because I don't know how your body reacts to like specific foods. You probably don't know right now either. But that's part of the beauty of like getting curious. So intuitive eating can really, or mindful eating can help you figure out, you know, what works the best. For you, when do you tend to eat? And you know, emotionally, like if you're had a bad day and you want a piece of dark chocolate, it's about getting curious about that. I'm not saying don't eat the chocolate. Just yeah. being like, I had a bad day. I want a piece of chocolate. Then you just be like, okay, I just know that's how I roll a bad day. And it happened. Yeah. And now it's over. Yeah. No big deal. But even just like starting to figure it out, because then you're like, I just know. This is why, so this is why I ate it, so I can just like think about it, move on, and, and not be guilt-ridden or whatever else it kind of brings up for you. And it's interesting the way that you put it, because it's almost like if you have to take, if you take an active role in, in the food that you're eating by being mindful, you're not just kind of the passenger along for the ride, mm -hmm. right? Just having no clue why you're doing anything, why you're eating that. And then you start making assumptions over yourself of like making the wrong choices. And then the fallout from that is like a little bit of failure and a little bit of guilt, but you're really just along for the ride. Like you're totally passive in, in everything that's happening instead of taking the moment to understand the whys behind everything. When do we buy in? That's when we understand the whys. You know, humans... We like to be told what to do, but we don't like it at the same time. You want to have buy-in. You want to have a reason. It has to be part of your why. So that intuitive or mindful eating can help you figure out your why. And then you can also start to see positive reinforcements. So like you ate this meal. In theory, if it was like a well-balanced meal, it should make you feel more energized and more satisfied. But if we're not paying attention, how would you? know that that meal did that for you whereas if you're paying attention it positively reinforces the fact that when i eat this way it makes me feel better do you think some people are a little bit too distracted when they eat like they really try to multitask and they're usually doing something else while they're eating and that doesn't allow them to be mindful of the food that they're consuming oh definitely we all most of us do it yeah it's always something i'm trying to be like don't work while you're having lunch at work is otherwise, first of all, food's supposed to be delicious. So if you're not, if you're just like eating it while working, you're not getting to enjoy the food that you're eating in the first place. Like food is so many things. Like it's, it fuels our body. It's an emotional piece that should be delicious. It's social. Like there's so much to food. But if we're just like, you know, mindlessly eating while working or doing whatever, you're not enjoying all those different pieces to it. You're just kind of putting it in your mouth. And then you're not even satisfied because we didn't get to enjoy the beauty of the tastes and flavors. Not that my meals are always 
spectacular and super amazing tasting but you still don't get to like enjoy enjoy it and sometimes the work that you put into making your meal you you do want the opportunity to enjoy it because i like i said i enjoy eating good food Mm -hmm. and i went over this conversation once with my mom because she was talking about some sort of diet foods i don't know it was like a low sugar or low fat thing Mm -hmm. that she wanted to substitute out and i was like well do you like it and she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, do you do you enjoy eating it? Yeah. And I'm like, mom, don't waste calories on food you don't like. Like, if, if you really don't like it, don't force yourself to eat it. And she was like, oh, well. Yeah. You're right. Like, I get it. Yeah, and if you don't like it, if you're not satisfied, often we'll look for something else that's going to give us that satisfaction. Either. You know what? I've, I've been... Yeah, I've done that before. I've done that before where I know I want something and I'm like, oh, I don't really don't really need that. But I want it. I mean, I don't really need it. So I'm just going to have this other food and it always ends up like I eat the other thing. It's totally unsatisfied with it and I always go back to just reaching for what my initial want was. And yeah, no, I didn't need it, but if I would have just had it, I wouldn't continue to have craved it. And then had both. Exactly. The worst thing you can do is tell yourself to not eat something. Because then that's all you're going to be able to think about. Yeah. For Until you finally have it. For most of us. Like, don't eat chocolate. I'm not going to eat chocolate for a month. You're going to think about chocolate for the whole month. And probably way more than what you would have had you not said anything to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. For most of us, that's how it goes. There's always people who can excel at setting very rigid rules for themselves. But most of us... Heck no. It did not work that way. Well, I honestly think people, like, most people only have, like, so much willpower. Like, you only have so many things that you can say no to in the run of a day. And you have only so much energy that you can put towards that. And I find, like, especially if I'm tired, my willpower has gone from, like, a 10 now to a 2. So denying myself over and over again when I'm tired is so much harder than denying anything when I'm well rested. It's almost like effortless when I'm well rested, rested. but the moment I'm tired, my willpower goes through the floor. Well, it makes sense, right? Because your, your brain is tired, it's looking for energy. There's a big connection between, like if you're hungry, so if you're hangry, it's very hard to make, you know, you're more nutritious decisions because you're brain is physically screaming at you yeah because it knows it needs that energy same with when you're tired there's so much that happens when you're tired in terms of the hormones that make us hungry or full or your body just knowing i'm tired so i need energy so what am i gonna go for it's so much like willpower is such a it's so much often a thing that we throw at people. Like if, you know, if they're struggling with different things, you're like, we just need more willpower. I don't agree with that in any way, shape, or form. It's painful sometimes. Like just just put it all on willpower. Yeah. that's yeah. We just have to set ourselves up so that you have the best opportunities. So whether that's fueling enough so that you're not always hungry, you know, if it's for you, it's like maybe eating more often so that you don't get to that point where you're like so hungry it's hard to make any sort of informed decisions i'm a dietitian i should be able to like you know have the knowledge and the willpower to like 
never eat something that I know is like not the most nutritious thing in the world. But if I have, if I'm hangry, I'm totally going for a muffin or something that's like going to give me energy right away. Immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I might not, but like it's there, but often I will. I just work at making sure I don't get myself into that position in the first place. There has always been this great debate, and, and I think it's more of like a nuanced, sometimes people just trying to start a fight, is that the calories in, calories out concept of weight loss. Where do you kind of stand, and what are your thoughts on calories in, calories out, eat less, move more? Yeah. And concept. Success with changing body shape often is when you eat less than what you burn. Mm -hmm. Again, there are definite lines when eating too little starts to work against people. It's often people like cut so, so much. There's the classic 1200 calorie diet that every single online platform will put you on if you want to lose weight. Especially for women being a certain height. Mm-hmm. You want to lose the weight? Mm-hmm. It's like twelve pumps out twelve hundred every time. Twelve hundred calories. For every single woman in the world. Yeah, yeah. But for most women, that's like close to what they need just to like function as a human being. Let alone all the other things that they do. When I think about like energy or body shape changes, some of it's like less calories, but also so much like just as important as like the quality of the food. Is you can eat less calories. This is a very drastic or dramatic example, but you could eat twelve hundred or like let's say less calories from McDonald's. That's gonna set you up very differently if you ate the same amount of lesser calories, but from like you know chicken and rice or you know whatever more nutritious kind of food. That's gonna set you up totally differently than eating more. Calorie calorie dense processed food that isn't a high nutrition value. Yeah, it's not purely just calories in, calories out. It's that's too simplified. If it was that simple, we would have it figured out already. Well, and it's really hard to sustain yourself if you're never actually full ever, right? So if you're not eating something that is nutrient dense, um, like. You know, there's certain foods that have lower calorie content but are very nutrient-dense that'll help you feel full, even like adding in that protein Mm -hmm. or eating that same amount of calories in something that um, is is very calorie-dense but like low in the nutritional profile. And and having that feeling of fullness... So important. It sets you up for success in, in any kind of any kind of way of eating, whether you want to lose weight or not. It just makes you feel better if you can actually feel full. Um, now, the the flip side is like when you when you can like overeat sometimes and feel like that disgustingly mm-hmm. full. Like there's a difference between, but I think that brings the mindfulness in again, yeah, exactly. right? Like listening to the cue of the body when it is actually full. Well, what is the easiest time to overeat? It's, for most of us, it's when we've got to that point where you're super hungry. And then you just like eat and you can't stop eating. Totally been there, done that. Like you're so hungry. Mm-hmm. You're just like getting food in as fast as you can. And then you go from like being starving to like having to undo your pants because 
You feel so gross. You're so full. Yeah. Right? Because it, that can be a big part of it. But when we're thinking about that full or that satisfaction, being satisfied, it's true. Like that protein that we already talked about, huge part in like slowing down digestion, so helping you stay full and satisfied. Same with that fiber. So fiber is very important in like slowing down that digestion. So it's not that you're eating more food it's just like the food that you ate is it's taking longer to digest so the energy that it's giving you is more of a slow gradual sustained energy instead of boom instant and gone yeah and now it's empty exactly so even with a lot of people even when we think about snacks it's like it having a carbohydrate because that's pretty classic but pairing it with either making sure there's fiber in there or protein or fat to like help slow down that digestion so that you're not just getting that quick carb hit that disappears and it's gone, but like slowing it down so that you're satisfied for longer. That makes sense. And then and then even when you're like having a reduction in your calories, and I'm not saying down to the twelve hundred for everybody, mm-hmm. but like when you do reduce your calories, but you're eating more um, slower, releasing higher fiber foods, you don't feel like you're drastically cutting yeah you're not starving yourself do you think some people if they eat kind of the traditional highly processed food that there's a little bit of an educational or learning curve that happens and an adjustment into that for them to be able to do the weight loss because if they're only having like let's say a tim hortons muffin for breakfast and you know mcdonald's for their lunch like it's, it can be tough to stay on that same trajectory, giving them the same foods. You have to kind of educate them and like swapping certain things out it's very slowly. Very slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It, a very slow, starting from wherever they're comfortable with starting. So maybe it's like their morning. Mm-hmm. Start there and adjust. And yeah, it has to be a very slow process. Because if you hammer them in with a totally different like daily meal plan, they're going to feel overwhelmed overwhelmed, and probably not enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Won't think it tastes good because that's a big change in, in flavor. There are so many different, like the food that you buy, a company's job is to make it taste good. You know, so it can be a big adjustment to go from certain foods and then start eating more like green things and Veggies and color. color. Yeah. You know, that's not just like you don't give someone a big plate of color and like right, like whatever it is, big balance plate, and they're like, ooh, this is delicious. This is what I'm gonna eat for the rest of my life. It's gonna taste so different from what they're used to. You have to slowly just like make changes and tweaks. It can't be overnight. No, and it can't be like complete denial of, of one food that has just been such a strategic part or like such a big part of their meal to go from like all to none right like you don't have to cut out every takeout meal that you've ever had like there is a way to adjust so that there's a happy medium if you want to go for your coffee in the morning Mm -hmm. and you take it a certain way i will tell people this if they ever tell me to cut cream out of my coffee i might kill somebody i just enjoy it like it's my happy place to have a little bit of cream in my coffee i like the taste of it i don't want to substitute it for milk 
it's just not enjoyable for me. Like I don't put whipping cream in it, but like I have my cream and it tastes good. I, I don't want to lose that. No, and that brings you joy. What's wrong with that? Like if we, so much of what we'll see in research is aim for 80%. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, get all that good nutrition. And then 20% is not that it's like the bad food because I despise labeling good, labeling food, good bad. bad food. Yeah. It's just 20% is that all that other stuff, whatever it is. It's it's the things that are maybe optimal or nutritionally dense, but the foods that make you happy, the yeah. things that make you comfortable. Like we all have food that like takes us to this or most of us do, like that food that when you think of it, it makes you feel warm and cozy on the inside. Yes. If that's cream in your coffee. That's cream in my coffee. <laughs> well, that is a beautiful thing. We don't want to take that away. Right? Yeah. 80%. We don't need to ever aim for perfection. That is unrealistic. It's some of the fastest growing eating disorders out there right now are ones that are focused on clean eating. Where that's all people will do, and because anything to an extreme is not beneficial. Well, and if it creates anxiety around it, that that in itself kind of tells you that it's not being beneficial to you mentally. Mm-hmm. If it's an anxiety-inducing problem, um, now I've got, I've got three kids ranging from the age of seven. To 14. And we like to talk about nutrition in our house. Because if there's two things that we think are the most important for kids, it's sleep mm-hmm. and food. Mm-hmm. And we just want to open them up to being able to read a label. Which is such a great skill to have. What are some basics people need to keep in mind when they're looking at nutritional labels? Mm-hmm. So some basics... We can bring it back to that fiber because I feel like I'm on fiber bandwagon right now. Is you when you look at the the sugars that are in a food, you can always look at the fiber, and that fiber is part of those sugars, but it's not going to be digested the same way as other sugars that are in there. Yeah. Um, so that would be always one big thing to think of, and when you're looking at nutrition facts as well, if it's Five percent, those little percentages that they always have, or less. That means a little. If it's twenty percent or higher, that means a lot. So if you're thinking about, you know, protein, generally you're gonna want one that's a little bit higher. So look for one with a higher percentage. If you're thinking about like some of your fats, like saturated fats, you're gonna look for one that's lower. But always be mindful that fats are. Does it get so complicated? Yes. Food is so complicated, which is why it's so fun. But fats are can also be, you know, saturated is going to be different than the other fats that you can have in there. So looking more specifically at saturated fats, trying to keep it lower. I know, I feel like I just talked myself around in circles. No. The nutrition facts, you know, and, and look at the nutrition facts, but then also read the ingredients. So if it's really high in fat and you look at the ingredients, you're like, oh, it's got a bunch of nuts and seeds. Is that makes sense? It's gonna to be totally different than another food that you look at that's really high in fat, but it's first ingredient is palm oil. <laughs> yeah, that's a totally different yeah. story than one that's full of nuts and seeds. Same with what would be another good example. Look at the sodium, like that's always something that depending on your 
Sodium is also a catchy one, but depending on your journey and how often you eat packaged food, you might want to be mindful of sodium. I have seen that now sometimes people are almost under-consuming sodium because that is something that we've been... Oh, that doesn't happen in our house. <laughs> Not with what my boyfriend makes. <laughs> Lots of salt. <laughs> yeah, he likes, he likes salt in his food because he likes to be able to taste taste the food right and it's an enhancer exactly and when you're cooking and it can like bring out the beautiful flavors of what you're making we mostly get stuck with too much sodium when we do consume a lot of packaged food because it's a preservative flavor or if you eat out a lot that's when we need to be a bit more mindful but if you're always cooking at home Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. Throw some salt on there. Bring out those flavors. Yeah, so good. So I'm pretty sure in his stocking this year, he'll have a pound of butter and a thing of salt. Well, and it's funny with the nutrition labels because we have our, our kids kind of looking at the front and the back of packaging. Mm-hmm. So what they see on the front. And I, an example I bring up is we bought some yogurt-covered pretzels. Because the kids were like, oh, look at these. These are amazing. They're Costco. So why not? Okay, we'll buy these strawberry yogurt-covered pretzels. And we we got them, and it was it was a dessert, right? It's something that we have after dinner because the kids want something sweet, and it's perfectly fine. And I, and I say to kids, but really it's my boyfriend. He needs something sweet after dinner. They join in on the fun. Yes. And I was talking to my 7-year-old, and we were reading the back of it. And I was like, okay, well, let's take a look at the ingredients. And I started reading through the ingredients. And it's so funny because she caught on to the fact that there was no strawberries in the ingredient list. But they were strawberry. Right. They were strawberry yogurt pretzels. And she's like, there's no strawberries in it. I'm like, no, there's it's just flavoring. It's, there's no actual strawberries. And the first word out of her head was, they're liars. How can they lie on the front? I'm like, well, technically, it's flavored with strawberry. It doesn't say it has strawberries in it. But she couldn't get over the fact that why would they ever put strawberry in the title if you're not going to put strawberries in the actual I love that she item. has had that realization. Because they're so deceptive. Even whether something says a source of, a good source of, or an excellent source of, those are totally different amounts of whatever they're saying. So if it says a source of protein, because we're talking about protein, it doesn't have to be very much protein in at all. It can be very, very minimal. minimal. A good source will have more, and an excellent, excellent will have even more than a good or a source. So even just like the minute changes in the words that they use... I mean, totally different things. Well, and it and back when they were when they wanted to cut fat out of a lot of things, when that was the kind of like the the, the no the evil thing was fat before carbs became evil again. Um, light was always a word that was used, and it could have meant anything. It could have been light in color, light. What light sounds so healthy? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're so mischievous. And I do want to circle back a little bit to the nutrition facts label because I do. We need to talk about sugars a yes. little bit. I first of all, I shout out to the U.S. and the way that their nutrition facts labels are now. They now have sugar and then they have added sugar. They're two separate things on their nutrition facts. I so desperately wish that Canada had done the same thing. Because when you read the sugar and the amount of sugar in the food. 
that sugar can come from so many different places. So if there's dairy in there, there's going to be sugar from the dairy. If there's fruit, there's going to be sugar in there. That's very different from the cane syrup or any of the other sugars that have been added in. But it's very hard as Canadians to know what percentage is like natural sugar that's in there and what has been added in, unless you go and look at the ingredients. Yes. But they're also super sneaky at using different words for sugar. Or the, and it means the same thing at the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Or they'll break the sugars into different, like they'll use different kinds of sugar so that it doesn't have to be, because on a nutrition fact label and the ingredients, the, the highest amounts will be the first ones. So it goes from like highest to next highest, like down until like the things at the end are the smallest amount. So they'll break the sugars up into different kinds so that they can be further down on the list. And, and spread them out. Mm-hmm. And then you don't see it as the first ingredient, yeah. even though it makes up the majority of the product. Totally. Just super sneaky. Yeah, they can be quite deceiving on nutritional labels. Yeah, because they're trying to sell a product. Yeah. Right? That's their whole job. Always being critical and just knowing that they're trying to sell. No, no, no. And they'll, they'll play with the portion size too oh always you have to watch yeah. that so much so hard to compare because one will be three quarters of a cup the next one will be like a cup and a half actually that wouldn't be quite easy but yeah but two still. thirds versus three quarters like not many of us can calculate in our head which is more and which is less yeah exactly. unless there's like a drastic difference between the numbers yeah yeah very sneaky and and with how how accurate does the information on the nutritional label have? Because I know they have a little bit of wiggle room Mm. for their accuracy. Yeah, it's, I don't feel like I can give you a percentage. Yeah, but it's not a hundred percent. No, but being educated enough, even just to start looking at nutrition facts is going to set you so much further ahead, even whether they have some wiggle room or not. Paying attention, looking, comparing, that just... Yes, the comparing. Comparing. Yeah. You know, be that dietitian mm-hmm. that's in the aisle at the grocery store, like looking at the two different things, trying to compare them. It's one of my favorite things to do with with clients, whether it's like athletes or other people, is just go to the grocery store and let's just look at some stuff. Let's look at some labels. Let's compare. Let's see. Because often we just we do get stuck on the front of the package. It's green. It looks healthy. It says it's high in protein. It tells me it's healthy. Yeah. High in protein is like, as we said, is like the big thing right now. So anytime you go to buy something that says high in protein on the package, please just stop and look and compare it to the same product beside it that's probably less cost. Yes. Often there's not a big difference. A very insignificant. Very tiny. I often find it funny too when they focus on something completely ridiculous with an item. And I'm not thinking of any on the top of my head, but they'll say this doesn't contain it and there's no way it would ever contain it anyways. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm trying to think of an example of that as well. Like no nuts. But I'm like, why would this product have why would, nuts? Why would it have nuts in it? Or like... A specific one. Yeah. They'll, they'll put some, some random fact. Be like, look, it's like putting zero calories on water. Yeah. Anything to sell. Of course, there's zero calories. It's water. There's nothing delicious water yeah what do you um what do you consider 
a good supplement for people to be taking. Like I know, again, it's a little bit of a generalization, but for for most individuals, where do you think we could be supplementing um, in our diet? Like, is there any kind of supplementation that we could should consider taking? Minerals, vitamins, like what is what is a good idea? So for most Canadians, most of us can be taking a vitamin D mm-hmm. supplement because we live in a country where we don't see a lot of sunshine. And the majority of vitamin D comes from sunshine. Yes. And it, the research on vitamin D, not like getting high amounts of it, but when you're deficient, so when you don't have enough vitamin D, there are a lot of impacts on health from like a bone perspective, muscle, immunity. Like there are so many different ways that vitamin D, so not having enough of it can impact. And because we don't see the sun or we're responsible human beings and when the sun is out or you know, covering ourselves and wearing sunglasses and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't typically have enough vitamin D. What would be a good recommendation for an adult to take in? Like what is the window for vitamin D? Um, around like one thousand okay. IUs a day was pretty safe. Okay. Now. Does that is that should there be seasonal changes in how much you're taking if you find that you're like you don't have difficulties getting sunshine in through the warmer months, but as you swing into like now in December, you know, with this wind, we don't really want to be outside. Well, for some people, again, sometimes I like to use your blood work just so we know, but in the winter we swing up closer to like 2000 or even higher, but okay. A thousand is pretty safe. And then from there I would, Generally, like to have blood work just to, before you make any yeah. other recommendations. Yeah. You want to take check down to the individual because you never really know. Maybe they're getting more than what they think. Yeah, and a thousand is a good place to start. Exactly, and there is definitely skin tone differences on vitamin D yeah. absorption as well. So that is a very blanket statement based on Caucasian individuals. Okay. So also just being aware that there are so many beautiful like ethic like differences in humans, even just like how we absorb the sunshine is different based on our skin tone. Although research has done a horrible job, most of it's been done on white Caucasian males. Yes, yes. depending on which, because the countries that are promoting these kind of things mm-hmm. are primarily, yeah, the population isn't there to show the difference between the two Yeah, for the people that they're actually polling and studying. Um, so there's that one vitamin d for sure and then another big one would be your omega-3 yep fatty fish is a beautiful place to get it from but a lot of us don't eat fatty fish multiple times Mm -hmm. for a week on a day Um, it is really important for lots of reasons and so that would be one that may want to there's still always some controversy around vitamin or omega-3 supplementation but that would be an, another one. Uh, I take an omega-3, but mine is a krill oil instead of, and that's perfectly fine to take a krill oil. Yeah, just going out of my brain. I think the only, and I could be wrong, but I believe that krill oil might be high in vitamin A as well. Okay. That one, if you have any sort of reason to be mindful of vitamin A, I would maybe not. Krill oil, but other. As the primary source, for sure. 
Okay. And then if we're thinking about supplements as well, sorry. Mm, no, go ahead. A big thing is like be mindful of what you're buying for supplements. So how many fillers okay. do they have in the supplement that you're choosing? I'm not usually an advocate for spending more money on stuff, but unfortunately a lot of the supplements that are out there, the lower end ones, have a bunch of fillers. And so you don't want to be... I would rather spend a little extra in this area if we're talking about supplements to get ones that you know that what's in there is just the thing that you want to be in your body, not that plus a whole bunch of fillers. Okay. So not usually a big person where you, you know you need to spend the extra money, but supplements would be one that I would usually recommend. A higher end is getting you a. a- a higher end product mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. And so you'll actually be getting more for what you're paying for. Exactly. So the increased expenditure is actually giving you more in the end. Mm-hmm. It hurts a little bit more. Yes. But it is giving you what you actually want to have. And that kind of goes with multivitamins for most of us as well, is that for most people, it's more of a safety net, like a, a warm blanket to wrap around themselves to be like I took a multivitamin I'm covering all my bases Mm -hmm. but unfortunately most of them don't give you enough of things that you need or things that you don't need might interact with the actual pieces of that you do need so it would be better to find out specifics of what you need versus just taking them to find out where you're lacking mm-hmm. as an individual as opposed to just throwing this blanket over yeah. and just hoping that you like get what you need exactly yeah yeah so the blood work you think is a key component to figuring out even if you need supplementation yeah most of the time like especially for the big ones like vitamin d your b12 your iron some of the main ones that people do tend to be low in you can find that out from your blood work if you're questioning whether or not you're low, that would be a place to start. Or talk to your doctor about, you know, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm experiencing, and then go from there. Well, and sometimes the lacking in, in certain vitamins or minerals, if it's showing up in blood work, might actually be the red flag for a bigger issue, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to absorption in through the gut. Totally. Because there can be a lot going on in your gut that will inhibit your ability to absorb things like B12 or iron or, yeah. Yeah, before my husband was diagnosed with cancer, his only um, issue was B12 and iron, which... Why are you not absorbing it? Which is very rare for most men, especially iron. It's a very strange one. So that is like a huge red flag for them to be like, well, we need to figure out why. Yeah, exactly. And not that I'm recommending that everyone like rushes out to their doctor because we all know the dire straits that are you know how overwhelmed our health system is at the moment but but it also gives you a baseline mm-hmm. so even if you just get that baseline of, of where you're at you at least have something to go from if you end up changing because it's kind of again not the you know you go off of general recommendations yeah. and what's good for the general public and most people should be at certain levels but like if you're feeling fine and everything seems to be going well and you're eating a nutrition balanced diet Mm -hmm. and your numbers are what your numbers are for you feeling good then 
when you do start showing symptoms or you're having problems with any kind of digestive issues, then going to get that next set of blood work, you have something to compare it to. You're like, this is when I felt good and I felt healthy and I was eating well, mm -hmm. but like I'm not feeling my optimal right now mm -hmm. or I'm having these either mental health or physical problems but now you can at least compare it to something if you got nothing to compare it to you're just going oh well you're still within the norms yeah but is it my norms super individual yeah so individual right so true and it impacts everything in your life what you're eating yeah. what are your thoughts on kind of the i don't know if it's a misconception but it's this idea that you shouldn't eat outside certain times a day and it sounds to me like you're saying that everybody's difference in how many meals they need to have in the day. But there's this sometimes this blanketed statement that goes, you shouldn't eat past 8 p.m. Mm. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, the, it's more about the bigger picture. So if you've gotten all of the energy and nutrition that you ain't need in that day, you probably don't need to eat after 8 p.m. But let's say like, a lot of the athletes that I have the privilege of working with, they struggle to get in enough because of the amount of energy that they burn. Yeah. So for them, eating after 8 p.m., I'm like, yes, please. Like, this is another opportunity for us to get some more, you know, protein and, like... Refuel for the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Where often, like, I think where some of the bad reputation was, like, after 8 p.m. is, like, it is tends to be a time when we go for things that are treatish. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Or you're bored. Yeah, you're bored. And but I'm also like, if you're always hungry at eight p.m. or later in the night, I'm just my. I first of all, I'm just getting more curious. I'm like, okay, why? But because maybe are we missing a little bit earlier in the day? Is that why you're always hungry at that time? Like, is it your body trying to catch up? So maybe we just need to like add a little bit more in earlier in the day so that your body's not so hungry at night. You're just like being curious and being like, why? But not saying like you can't eat after eating. Ever. 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 Because not even your day looks the same. Yeah. So like not after not eating after eight PM isn't the answer to necessarily everything. No, it's like it's gonna be course different for everyone but like yeah why why are you hungry then and then if you are and there's you know if it you had a really a day where you used a ton of energy makes sense you're still hungry at 8 p.m yeah and or are you just bored oh yeah i like it or nothing to do because some people don't take into consideration the um the non-exercise energy that they use throughout the day and it can vary from day to day so much like, yeah. did you walk to the grocery store? Did you mow your lawn? Did you, like, there's so much. Did you chase a kid around? Yeah, kids will burn a lot of energy. Yeah, and burn a lot of your energy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there, you know, it's, it's again, it comes down to, you know, if 8 p.m. means that you're taking in more energy than what you need, then that's, you know, not just one day. Like, Christmas isn't our demise. Like, mm -hmm. December 25th is not when everybody's weight changes. It's the gradual, like it's it's multi-day, you know, it's, it's habits that are changing. Yeah. So 
it's thinking about, yeah, what, it's not going to be that one time. It's like mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're always consuming more than what you're burning, that is probably when we're going to see changes in your body shape. It's not one day. But it's not necessarily that 8 p.m. No. snack that you had. No. No. Don't no. blame it on somehow eating after 8. If you haven't consumed your calories for today, but now, oh my God, it's at 8 p.m. And now mm -hmm. all those, oh, it's all going with fat cells. I ain't going to use any of it. Like, you're still breathing. Yeah. And, like, they say, like, we obviously we don't want to have a gigantic meal and go to bed. That's mm -hmm. going to disrupt our sleep. But so for... Also, for many people, going to bed hungry is also going to disrupt your sleep. So, having a, if you're starving and trying to sleep, having that bedtime snack, again, one that's giving you some protein and some good quality carbs, that's going to be so helpful versus holding off because you're like, I can't eat after 8 p.m. What do you think, because we are getting to January, and people making their new year's resolution to lose weight and their first instinct is to be like, okay, I'm going to totally cut my calories. Do you think that there is a different way we can look at coming into the new year when your idea is weight loss? Should it be that like dropping calories should be the focus or should it there be a shift to um, maybe setting goals for yourself to just eat a little bit more mindful. Like, is is that a better way to look at it? Or, or how should people approach kind of, because the weight loss can also be not just for aesthetics, but like a real health issue, underlying health problem. So the way that I would approach it is, first step would be like eat mindful or like mm -hmm. intuitive. So like be aware of what you're doing. And then focusing on like, how do I get the nutrition that I need. So am I getting protein spread throughout my day? Am I eating, you know, filling my plate with fruits and veggies? Am I getting some like good starchy carbs as well? Like let's focus on getting all that good stuff that your body needs. Cause that, even if it's for like your illness or disease prevention or any of that stuff, that's all going to be very supportive for it. And then, the hope from there, if you're eating intuitively and listening to your body and filling it full of all that good food, is that your body shape will change the way that it's meant to. So you're more of like add in the add in the health and the yeah, but like add, add in the the healthy nutritional food mm -hmm. as opposed to walking into the new year going, no, 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 cut it, leave it, drop it. Exactly. I'm all about focusing on making better versus taking away. Like if you fill up with all this like food that's giving you all this stuff that your body needs, you're set up the way that you want to be and your body's fueled, most of us will crave less of the other stuff just automatically. Do you think that part of the reason why once you start craving those things that might not be as nutritionally dense, and this is just kind of something that I've thought about going through my own nutrition and trying to, you know, navigate healthy eating for myself, is like, 
I'm not getting any nutrients from that food that I'm consuming. So yes, I'm taking in calories, but my body is still being denied nutrients. So now I want more food because I don't have the nutrients that I needed to build anything, especially the protein, because I didn't take it in. So now I want more food. So then I ended up eating more food, but again, it's pretty empty. And that just kind of starts this pattern of why sometimes people might overeat. And even though they're eating enough calories to sustain themselves mm -hmm. they're not getting their nutrients so they want to continue to eat the calories mm -hmm. that can be like there are definitely people who are obese and are malnourished hmm. because they've ate more than enough calories but you're right they're missing out on all these other pieces of vitamins and minerals other stuff that their body needs and so they're actually can be defined as malnourished almost like what you think of when you see an emaciated person like laying in a hospital bed. Yeah. The calories are there, but the nutrition and, and everything else that comes with the calories that you need to live just are in such small amounts. They need to eat more to just maintain any of those yeah. other nutrients. Yeah, and a lot of those, a lot of foods that we can choose to eat have a lot of calories again. But the energy they, they give you is, it's very fast. Mm -hmm. And then it disappears. Like the glycemic, so insulin response is very quick, and then it's gone. So then your body is like, well, I need more. Feed me again. Feed me again, because I have no more energy. Like what you gave me is gone already. So then we're just continually trying to get that energy because your body needs it. But it's denied him. It's you very fast it. and then gone, fast and then gone. But that's where... You know, that fiber, that protein, those healthy fats, those all slow it down so that you can have more of a steady release of energy. So you think there should be more of a shift in the mindset when it comes to always focusing on this idea of weight loss and maybe just focus more on giving our bodies the nutrients it needs and you're going to level out to a healthy body weight for you, for yourself, yeah, and yes. how you need to be. That would be amazing. So it needs to be a refocus on, on what people are finding. Like, mm -hmm. you can't just look at the calories of something and be like, because I know this is something that is eating up social media, where they'll put up, you know, similar calories, mm -hmm. and they'll be like, eat this not that or and it's always like you can pick the completely nutrient empty food but like <laughs> this other food has all this stuff in it right yeah you can't just look at the calories you have to look like it's about the calories it's the amount of protein it's the amount of fats it's the amount of like it's not a singular thing yeah and you're right, nutrition is complicated, and sometimes it's so compli complicated, I find that it stops people in their tracks of ever making any decision. They almost get paralysis by analysis. It's so overwhelming. It's so simple, but not so simple. Yeah. Always just bring it back to the basics as much as you can. We know that we need fruits and veggies. Mm -hmm. you know, we've been told that in school since the beginning of time. We know we, you know, protein as an important part to play, and healthy fats. If there's anything else, anything that you take away from nutrition, just focus on the simplicity of those pieces. 
the amounts of each one of those is that's going to differ compared to like people and their goals and what's happening. Yeah. But it still comes down to protein, whether it's coming from animals or plants, fruits and veggies, healthy fats, and then your grains are also all wrapped up in that beautiful. Because they're amazing. Yeah. Let's be honest. All food is really yeah. can and, be delicious. And the more you can like eat different kinds of food, change up the varieties. You know, diversity is a beautiful thing. I mean, the more diversity you can have in what you eat, better. Like, we all have meals that we kind of stick to, of course, but switching it up, getting the diverse, like, because all different foods have different things in them. Like, the color of the fruit or veggie that you're eating gives you different things, whether it's an orange and a red or a purple and a blue. Those are going to give you different vitamins and minerals. So keep it dynamic. Yeah, keep it diverse. First of all, you know, we eat not only with our mouths, we eat with our eyes, we eat with our nose. You know, our food doesn't have to be Pinterest worthy, but mine definitely never is. I'm not one of those dietitians that like takes food of all their, or pictures of all their yeah. beautiful food. Um, but you still want to have it appealing. So even if it's just like serve it on a plate that you like, make it colorful, all that stuff enhances the enjoyment of the food that you're eating. And make it fun. Yeah, make it fun. Make it fun. Yeah. And taking back to trying to teach our kids about nutrition, we like to bring them in on making the food. Yeah. And they get way more enjoyment when they're eating it, when they've helped make it. Mm-hmm. And their siblings almost enjoy making or eating it more when they know that their brother or sister helped make it. Because then it's like this conversation of, oh, thank you for making me. And right, like it turns into this, thank you for making me supper tonight. And it's just a very like interesting social. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's such a piece to like a connection to like when you make it yourself. Well, if you even think bigger than that, imagine if you like grow some of it yourself and then make the food and then eat it. It creates a, a relationship or an appreciation, whether you grow it or not. But even if you just make it, make it yeah. you're appreciating it so much more than when you make it out of a box. I'm not, I sound like I, I definitely use food that's boxed. Like, that's not. Well, not, not everybody's making homemade pasta kind yeah. of a thing. Like, I there are I make my own homemade bread, but that doesn't matter. Oh my God. Wow. Well, yeah. I don't know, there's a big kick over COVID, yeah, right? To make the sourdough bread. Then we all went back to work. It's <laughs> <laughs> time to make our own sourdough. That's true. I, well, well, then maybe I'll have to give you the overnight recipe that I have that you just make it the night before and throw it in the fridge to rise and then bake it the oh, next day. Yes. That sounds amazing. Yeah, my mom's got a pizza dough recipe like that where you make it 24 hours ahead. Yeah. And it just rises all day in the fridge. Exactly. So beautiful. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. I, I love bread too. But I was, you saying that, I know I grew up quite privileged because my family is, uh, I grew up on a farm. So like the fact that we did grow a substantial amount of our food, um, even our meat came from our backyard. So like I was very connected to the food that my parents put on the table because I, I saw it all from the very start to the very end, like everything for the vegetables to the meat, all of it. Um, and I was, we were all very involved in it. 
And sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect with people and their food, right? Because they don't have that from start to finish. So it's if you need just involve yourself in one little part of it, it can change the whole process. Exactly. Yeah, I am privileged as well. Raised on a farm where you grew everything. But yeah, that's not the story that everyone can have. No. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so any little way that you can find a way to reconnect with the food that you're putting in your body, such a beautiful thing. Not every day, even just sometimes. Make one meal from scratch once a week. Even that would be... Yeah, it's about that. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time, mm -hmm. but involving yourself. Some, and, and sometimes it's just once you start, it becomes easier to do it. It's almost like you can build momentum with something like that because then you can build it in as almost like a habit. So like if you say every Monday is my easy day, so I can have no problem making dinner on Mondays. And then you find a dish that you like making and you make it and then you're like, well, this isn't so hard. Maybe I could add it in somewhere else during the week or a weekend. And, and then it just seems like once you break that barrier of doing it once, you can build momentum on it. And it's not going to look the same every week, right? Mm -mm. Because some weeks can be a little bit crazier than others. But something, do anything. Yeah, habit, like stacking habits on top of each other. Just like small little, small little piece. And then, yeah, just breaking the seal. This is the next little bit. Next little bit. It's a lovely way to think of it. I'm not about the all or none. Principle. No, most of us do not succeed. No. And, then, and then it's that black or white. It's like you've either succeeded or you've failed. There's no yeah. in between. No, and most of us don't thrive on fail. Like, we don't fail and then turn around and be like, I'm going to keep on. We succeed when we have like little wins and you just build on the wins, the positive and reinforcement. And then that adding in instead of always focusing on Again. the negative of taking things away. It's a good, I hope we can get a few people to just think about how they approach the new year in, you know, appreciating what they have by just trying to feed themselves instead of deny themselves. Exactly. And one thing, one question that I have started to ask a lot of people I work with is like, what is one thing you are doing wrong about? Think about food. Let's celebrate that. Not first, like, what's wrong, what's going wrong. Just, like, let's first just touch on, like, what do you do well already? And you work out of Cove Sport Therapy, correct? Uh, yeah. And you take clients out of there? I do. Yeah. Are you still taking clients? I am, yeah. They just need to reach out on the website, and then I work with them to find a time that works for both of us. Nice. So I don't have set hours at Cove because my schedule is all over the place. It's quite flexible. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I work with lots of athletes, so their hours are wild. Yeah, it's not Monday to Friday. No, it is not Monday to Friday, nine to five. So, but we can just like work from there and find time and space. Well, I hope 
people look you up because I think this is absolutely wonderful. And I appreciate with how busy you clearly are that you took the time to chat with me because I think nutrition is fascinating. And I'm probably going to have you on to pick your brain again once I can start thinking of the holes <laughs> of all the questions oh, yeah. that I came up with on the way. No, so. please do. I can talk about food for hours. It is so interesting and so complex but so beautiful and so simple which is so awkward well and i find that with how important it is to just life everybody needs to eat right like this applies every to, to everybody because we all need to eat and we all have a nuanced way of eating but to have a better understanding of eating better for ourselves um it's it's missing because everybody tries to be shoved into the same same little box yeah and yeah because every new diet is the best diet so but then every old diet is the worst mm -hmm. and everything's gonna kill you mm -hmm. yeah and then this new superfood i'm oh, sorry there's no superfood <laughs> <laughs> Those are like the ultra good, 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 as opposed to the bad, bad, bad. Yeah. yeah. If we could just take the good and the bad out of our conversation of food, that would just make me happy. It's all you need. As a general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's food. Food has no morality. Yes. It's not good. It's not bad. Yeah. You can't date your salad. It's no. not a relationship like that. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's not how it works. No. It's delicious. It is. And we all need to just have good food. All right. Well, that works for your body. Yes. And every want to eat. and be okay with that if it's not the same as what works for somebody else. No. It's probably not going to be the same thing. No. Different variations. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to chat again. Sounds fantastic. Have a lovely day. Thank you.